Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh brothers and sisters Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salamu ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursaleena wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een Jazakum al khairan brothers and sisters for joining us tonight uh, for what insha'Allah we hope will be a beneficial discussion uh, it's a, there's a lot that's happened in the last week and uh, our uh, podcast and our series, this K podcast series, the idea is to try and touch on some topical issues and try and share some uh, insights, important insights into uh, uh, developments and of course what bigger development to address uh, in this last week than the, uh, the events of uh, America, the protest, the event itself, the, the tragic incident itself and then of course the, the flaring up of the protest and everything that's developed in light of that. Uh, there is a lot to talk about and it's important that as a community we talk about these and have these discussions and encourage each other to have these discussions and try and move and build the conviction on its basis and try and move in the right direction. Um, so I ask Allah Taala firstly, to undo the knots of my tongue and to allow me to express myself. I do feel very passionately and I think many of us do. It's nothing, it's nothing, it's not a personal thing for me. I think many of us feel very, very passionately about this topic and so so we should. Uh, it is a very uh, uh, touching, it's a very tragic uh, topic uh, and uh, to touch, it's a very sensitive topic uh, for many people who have been through uh, crises such as these. Um, and of course, for everyone on the, on the sidelines watching, we we simply we simply can't uh, continue to enjoy uh, this luxury of just standing by and watching. Uh, there's so much happening. I, I felt honestly there was a there was a podcast on this topic a couple of nights ago, um, and in fact there've been a couple on tyranny, um, on um, on the race riots itself. But you can't do one or two podcasts and think you've uh, absolved yourself of any obligation. I think it's important for anyone who feels, feels that, that they, they need, need to, to express, express themselves, themselves to express themselves. themselves. And, I, and think I think it's important, important how, how we, we choose, choose to do, to do that, that, to try, to try and, and uh, fulfill our obligation to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to, and to all of mankind. Uh, I'll start firstly with the obvious point that it is, um, it, it is very saddening to, to see what's happened. Uh, to actually see the footage itself, um, you know, some of us can, some of us have the courage to watch that repeatedly, and others don't. Um, but uh, wherever you stand on that spectrum, it is very tragic. It is very heart wrenching and very, very disturbing to see what has happened with, um, you know, a, a person in in a position of authority like that kneeling over onto onto the neck of, you know, a man who represents a people who have gone through so much. Um, and just obstructing his windpipe for nine minutes until the person collapses and just passes out. There are there are, there are no words to express that tragedy, um, and uh, it, it really is gut wrenching to, to to see and to witness that stuff. And then of course to see, it's it's like salt on the, on a wound to to witness the statements of politicians. Um, I I made a point in my mind somewhere to not even talk about Trump because I think the the problem there is just so obvious. Um, that even before he opens his mouth, everyone discards every word that he's about to say. But you'll be surprised there are still some people who, uh, whilst uh, making the mistake of talking about Trump, will probably fall into the same mistake of misidentifying or misrepresenting the problem. Um, so it is important, I think, to clarify some of our expression, some of our ideas around that. And I offer some thoughts tonight for your reflection. And, and it's great, inshallah, if we can try and continue these discussions online and offline in our respective circles. Um, we do always uh, encourage uh, for those uh, of our audience who are listening in to try and partake in some of the discussion. Feel free to leave a comment. If I notice it uh, during the podcast, I will try and address it. Otherwise, 
uh, in light of the podcast, we can have these discussions moving forward as well. The first point, of course, as I said, it is that very saddening to see what's happened. Um, and this is not a, a standalone incident, but in fact, this is the history. Uh, this is a history of America, a history of racism, of bias, of prejudice, of discrimination. And uh, it is uh, very tragic to see that, um, you know, not just the death of George Floyd, uh, but of course the death of um, all people, of people of uh, uh, color and of people who are in minorities and people who are in positions of vulnerability and weakness to go through what they have gone through. And uh, to, uh, know to know that, that there, is there is no respite. No respite. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, on the horizon, on the horizon or, around or around the corner, the corner it, just it just continues continue. unabated. I remember, um, you know, many of us in, in in various contexts and settings, we've read about, you know, in our own country, the the tragedy that uh, has befallen the Aboriginal people, and we read and we are, you know, there, there's a lot of that incorporated into the education system as well, where students in the school setting will learn about uh, the Aboriginal people, the stolen generation, <coughs> the, the policies of segregation <coughs> and of white Australia, pardon me. And of course, um, none of this is, is felt uh, until you really try and, and, uh, and, and grasp the gravity of the situation. I remember studying a particular unit called um, Aboriginal education and in it we were given glimpses of like real life stories and it's just the point I want to make first is that before we have a discussion around which I think is a very important discussion about the way forward I think it's still very important before we get to that as a precursor to actually talk about the problem itself and to give it justice and to talk about that issue because in America in 1967 uh, 1991 there were big incidents of riots like these it's not the first time and those who have lived through it will know that uh, history is repeating itself and it will continue to repeat itself you know for the foreseeable future um, god forbid but uh, that's the that's the reality that we witness and of course you know one of the uh, incidents that uh, i'd like to share today is in fact uh, in 1919 <clears throat> i remember reading one of these uh, historical incidents of what was called um, the Chicago riots of 1919, and you know we know the year 1919 for something else, and you don't you wouldn't think it's it's the year of tension. You'd think it's the year in which the tension was brought to an end, where where the Great War, which was called the the War to End All Wars, was brought to an end in 1919. You'd think that people had been through enough, um, um, you know, notwithstanding America's isolationism from the First War, but still you'd think as a world, having gone through a world war, you, we've been through enough to. Um, you know, then to have to witness this 1919 in America and Chicago was known as the year of ethnic tension because there was so much tension. It was a time of policy of division between the blacks and the whites. And uh, there was an incident uh, with some teenagers on a raft who had entered a body of water which was on the black side um, of Chicago. Um, and there was a particular river, I forget the name, um, which, which had segregated the blacks from the whites. And there was an incident of a white man who was hurling rocks at these three kids on a raft. And uh, uh, as they grew older, they're recounting their stories. Um, um, John Harris was the name of, of, of one of those uh, kids on the raft. And as he grew older, he was recounting the story. And he said, I had a friend with me. I had two friends with me. And at first... Um, the image of the man who was hurling stones at us was obscure because he was a good 120 meters away from us. And at first we treated it like a joke uh, because his, his stones weren't reaching us. But as we drew closer, not knowing, not, knowing, not, not caring, caring uh, uh, we, we started, started playing, playing a game, a game of, of dodging, dodging the rocks, rocks that were being thrown at us until, until inadvertently, inadvertently, for them, for them of, course, of course, uh, the, 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 white the white man couldn't, couldn't care less, less but, but inadvertently, inadvertently one, of the, one of the rocks hit one of, the rocks one of these kids on the head. And, and he, he um, and and the kid 
fell off the raft and into the water and he had some severe damage um, to his brain and he died on the spot. Um, and f- and then this, the situation got very real. So this John Harris quickly pulled the raft back to shore and ran to grab a, a, um, a, a man of authority but amongst the blacks some form of security or some officer, he grabbed his attention and brought him and by the time the perpetrator had run from the scene. And, um, and, and what this sparked was a, was a series of major riots in Chicago in the year 1919. And the point is that despite discussions around what changes should be affected in the police department and what changes should be affected amongst authorities and uh, the unfairness of the segregation and so forth, um, what we witness a century on, this was 101 years ago, over a century ago this incident occurred. And this was not the first time, but it's one of the major ones. And of course, many major and minor incidents and events like this have occurred since. But to what end? What does the future hold? And, and, and where should we stand when we see things like this? Like surely a century is not going to pass and we're just going to continue um, you know, offering the same solutions which somewhere deep down we, we don't feel fully convinced about. Is there something more? So we want to raise this discussion and I want to have this conversation with my audience tonight about the importance to, to speak up and to, to, to try and understand that there may be something uh, beyond just, you know, um, patchwork on the system. Um, and of course, we speak from a position um, of, um, of, of, we try and speak from a position of being informed by what the text asks us and what, what's required of us as Muslims, that we have an obligation to speak up. And this is what informs us. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says in a hadith, in an authentic hadith, um, um, uh, uh, that uh, that whoever amongst you sees an evil, let him change it with his hand. Let him take control of the situation and be an agent of change in that situation using his hand. And if he's unable to do so, as many of us are, either because of geographical distance, either because we simply don't have that authority given to us, or because we aren't able to be agents of change physically, then, then, raise, then raise your voice and then use your voice, use your tongue to be uh, an agent of change. And if you are unable, then at least hate it in your heart. And that is the weakest of faith. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through His Messenger is encouraging us, is imploring, urging us to be agents of change. And so, you know, it, it goes without saying that Yes, there's many different forms of activism that we can take in response to this, but the one that we all agree on is, is non-activism, that none of us should ever fall prey to just standing on the sidelines and watching things and, and simply feeling things in our heart, somehow skipping the first two steps of that hadith of changing something with your hand and with your tongue and just saying that, you know what, I'm going to hate it in my heart because I'm too busy. God forbid we fall into that category. Um, so we try and do things, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us. But... I do want to point out some things from my limited perspective, um, but which I think hold some, uh, which I do think hold some weight, and I want to share this with you guys today. And I wanted to try and uh, get a conversation going around this, uh, because when people do, um, and this is something um, I think that we can have an honest discussion about in the community as well. When it comes to having um, a building a form of activism around some of this, uh, um, some of the injustices that we see around us today. There are various responses that simply fall short and we should be cautious and we should be conscious about. Um, 
reducing the riots, um, you know, I think the first thing will be if anyone addresses this issue and they do it and they start it or they prioritize in their discussion anything other than the gross injustices that are being meted out to to a whole people for such a long period of time, all forms of minorities, but in particular in America, the blacks, right? And if we reduce, if we reduce the discussion to focusing on anything other than that oppression, then there is something seriously wrong about that. If we do not prioritize the discussion of what is going on and the problem itself, um, and, and we talk about responses to the problem, then something seriously is wrong. Um, and if we reduce you know, the riots and we start saying it's an emotional response, um, um, then I think that that's both offensive to the, to the people who have suffered, and it's also a projection of one's fragility. Um, you know, for, for this to come from media outlets, which believe it or not, it does, um, and if it's, if it's not at the hands of you know, those in uh, positions in the media, then, then you know, these self-appointed um, um, social commentators who run podcasts and stuff um, have commented, you know, and this discussion is rife in many communities about uh, the wrongs that uh, the, the rioters are doing and they'll talk about the looting. I mean, that, that's the focus of the discussion, um, the looting that has happened. Yes, of course, some of it's wrong and yes, of course, some innocents get caught up in it. But if that's what the, the, the gist of the discussion is for us, then, um, then there's something seriously wrong there and it, it reflects our own insecurities and our own fragility. Uh, because I think the analogy that I like to draw here is that, you know, if you see um, an entire village being burnt down um, and what you choose to focus on is, you know, a single effigy being burnt or if you see a house being burnt, but you ignore the village and you focus on the house. That's the, that's the analogy that fits here where there's, you know, there's a, there's a volume, there are volumes that can be written about one particular wrong and perhaps a page of the other or a sentence at most, but you, we choose to focus on the lesser crime. And so I think the discussion uh, should start and should prioritize the, um, the oppression that is being meted out by those in positions of power. Um, secondly, um, reducing the problem to a product of Trump's policies. I hate to even use the guy's name, but to reduce the problem to uh, as if it's a product of Trump's policies, it's, I think it's naive, as if the problem started with Trump. Whereas the fact is, as we've mentioned at the beginning of this podcast itself, that uh, the history of America is a history of racism and bias and structural um, discrimination. Um, um, Trump, itself, Trump himself, of course, I mean, he outdoes himself. Even in the tweet that he issued immediately following the death of George Floyd, he found he self-arrogated to himself the right to talk about, you know, apparently we're doing an injustice to George Floyd by protesting. I mean, that was the great, the great wisdom that he bestowed upon us in his tweet. Um, and in the same tweet, he made reference to, you know, the comments of a Miami police officer from the 1960s in which he said that uh, when the shooting starts, the looting starts, right? Sorry, the other way around, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. I mean, to, to, to take such a loose approach um, in such a high position, of course, I mean, but what else have we come to expect from Trump? And he ended that comment as if, you know, as if we were attendees in some concert of his. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Right. So, I mean, the guy is completely out of touch and uh, anything more than a minute out of, you know, an hour long podcast or however long is way too much um, on Trump. But to make, I think, the issue about Trump himself, we, it's very easy to fall in this trap to say, well, he's the guy that's sitting at the helm in America and therefore he's the problem. 
Um, and but, the, but as if that hasn't happened, like especially in the Muslim community, as if that hasn't happened many, many times before, where you see someone sitting at the top and you assume that this guy's a problem because obviously he's the president or he's the individual at the top. Uh, there is something more. There is a structure which he represents, um, which to which we should point the finger of blame. Thirdly, um, and may you rest in peace, but to reduce this whole issue to the death of George Floyd, to reduce it to the death of George Floyd, um, or to reduce this issue to the abuse that is meted out by the police department of, of any one county or you know any one uh, city or state of America, it's really to miss the forest for the trees because, you know, um, and, and there are people who actually are offering this commentary as some great, you know, commentary on the issue. Like to suggest that, um, uh, you know, the violation of police protocol is the problem. You know, he shouldn't have knelt on his uh, neck in that way. Um, and because he was obstructing the windpipe, like people getting like legalistic about it as if there was a... Um, there was an incidental police uh, violation of police protocol and that uh, he should be fired, that he should be stood down or fired, um, that he should face punishment. You know, they cheer. We, some people are cheering that today, or it was yesterday, that the third degree murder was upgraded to a second degree murder. I mean, yes, of course, um, if, if we move in the direction of... Um, um, accountability of those who are committing these wrongs then that's something but you don't want to miss the forest for the trees and you don't want to um, misunderstand or misrepresent the problem one police officer um, you know and this police officer he's he's someone if you look up the history of this guy he's committed eight this was his 18th uh, violation of a similar nature he has shot dead other african-american uh, individuals um, and one of them he shot 16 times and he was still in his position. So yes, of course, there's a, there's a gross problem with the way the police departments in America are run. But the problem does not stop there because, because there's something much bigger that's giving rise to this. There's something much bigger that is telling us that, that uh, we are we and you are you and it's dividing humans in the wrong way. And there's an entire ideology that's built on it that no one's speaking about. But instead, we choose to speak about a single police officer or a police department, or a language that is adopted. There's bigger issues here. There's an ideology that supports all of this. Um, and, and what we're trying to do, and what I'm trying to do, is try and raise awareness. And I think we should all try and raise awareness about the problem of the ideology. Um, um, and uh, of course, there's, there's, um, there's many takes on this issue. But one, one interesting take also is to distinguish what's happening is to distinguish what's happening today from what happened in the 20th century. You know, um, Will Smith actually uh, weighed in on this debate recently. I think it was yesterday. And, you know, he said, and I agree with the, the sentiment of it. He said that uh, it's not like there are more crimes happening today. It's just the people are filming it. It's a long and ugly and bloody history in America. Um, but to actually turn around to the 20th century and say, oh, thank God that's over, there's something seriously wrong with that. Because the 20th century and talking about apartheid and policies of segregation as things of the past, and like we're more civilized now apparently, like we all know this, this tone that's adopted in, you know, in, in different industries and in education and the media and like we're more civilized now apparently. But are we? 
Like, has the West really like moved on from the 20th century into this great new 21st uh, civilizational era in which we've, you know, rid ourselves of our weaknesses and we've grown as a people? But have we? You know, like, I think it's a very dangerous line to tread. Like, the fact is that racism has become more systemized and it's become more invisible and therefore it's become more dangerous, if anything. Right? Of course, there are there are positives to the fact that light is being shunned on it more often and it's being exposed more and people are waking up to it more and I think, you know, may that continue uh, with all of our voices aiding in the process but have we really grown? Has the West really come out of it uh, stronger? Because uh, somehow she has realized that uh, we shouldn't have explicit policies on it but all the language around it and all the implicit policies on it and every now and then we can shoot some people dead Right, but apparently we've moved on from the terror of the 20th century. Um, you know, the interesting thing with, um, with, with, with racism, with this discrimination, this inherent bias within um, not just America, but other parts of the West as well, and, and indeed the East, right, in the world that we face today, is that, um, you know, not only will will the ideology of capitalism and you know the the system of um, organizing ourselves around nationalism through nation states you know this modern system of organized nation states coming together you know we will champion and we'll tell our kids like stand up for the australian anthem from a very young age that's it we'll send him to school stand up for the australian anthem and he will sing uh, she will sing the australian anthem and like day in, day out, who knows what effect that's having on the psychology, but you can imagine what it will be. Like you assert yourself as a people based on your race, on where you were born, and you reiterate that for the child. And the child grows up believing like they're Australian, even though, to be honest, like you'll sit in a university seminar, as many of us have, and you know, the greatest of academics of our time will sit there and they'll, they'll literally point out that there is no definition to what it means to be Australian. But let's put all the paradoxes aside and the contradictions of that aside and insist on organizing ourselves around this idea of nationalism. And, what is, I'm, and you consistently tell you, no, you're Australian, I'm Australian, I'm Australian, I'm Australian. But then, like, if Americans are doing this, and I'm American, and this is what it means to be American, and those who are native to this country are X, Y, Z, right? And then, and then somehow, when it comes to the issue and the, the natural byproducts of that ideology, of insisting upon division based on race, and organizing yourself as a world on that basis, the some of the natural byproducts that come out of that, of insisting on that, and, and waving the flag of patriotism, like ask black people how patriotic they feel towards that flag. Everyone knows he represents like a particular brand, uh, and a particular brand of people within the country, right? And to insist on that, but then of course if someone takes that too far, if someone goes the, 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 the whole nine yards with that, um, then you can't absolve yourself of responsibility. Because we festered this into our kids and our minds from a very, very young age, and we organized our societies around this basis. Um, and, and the interesting thing is this system will not only create the problems of, of you know, racism and discrimination in every, in every industry, in every area and facet of life, and the most grotesque of which is criminality against a, a vulnerable people. But it's not the only form. Like I said, the list is as long as it is ugly. But to to organize yourself and to, to produce the problem, it's one thing. But the, the thing about this ideology is that it it also suggests the solution. 
It says here, here's a problem. And the way you want to, if you're keen on resolving this one, buddy, then here's the solution. You can peacefully protest at times. Even that's not legit at times, but you can peacefully protest about it. You can make some noise about it. You can enter politics about it. You can work within the system. But if anyone says, what about questioning the system? Is there something wrong with the system itself? Is there something wrong with the roots? Is there something wrong with the foundations of our society? Then that's oh, too radical. That conversation can't be had. Because, because now, but let's not say this too quietly, you're getting to the crux of the issue here. We don't really want to go there. Right? We just want to talk about some patchwork, right? So it, that's the interesting thing, I think. Like, uh, it creates the problem and it says, well, here's the solution as well in case you're keen on that. Um, but just don't go outside of the system in trying to seek that solution. Don't talk about top league institutions. Don't talk about changing the system in the face um, of you know the way we organize ourselves as societies don't talk about ideological issues don't talk about structural problems just talk about you know symptomatic issues um, but the fact is that structural racism that structural problems require structural alternatives like structural bias and, and structural discrimination structural racism requires a structural alternative you know, and the way at least I think of it in my head is, you know, if it's an isolated incident, like if we have a room full of 50 people and I, you know, remark upon the ethnicity of one of them and I, and I discriminate on that basis, that's an isolated incident. And perhaps the solution to that is to apply pressure on me. Like there, there may be legal measures, but there's non-legal measures. I can apply pressure <coughs> on that individual and raise my voice against him and just solve the problem in that way, right? Um, and put in checks and balances to make sure it doesn't happen again. But if the problem is not an individual, but it's a, an entire culture, an entire language built on an entire system, and that system, and I'm being specific here when I talk about nationalism and, and nation states, and, and patriotism and the, the singing of the anthems that comes with that and the organization of our lives on that basis. And to say that, you know, it's like there's a, it's like they, we absolve ourselves, like the West absolves itself of responsibility often by saying that, no, that's a bad iteration of nationalism. But it's an iteration of nationalism nonetheless. It's just worse. It's just, it just, it's just more obvious that it's bad. But of course, you know, it's the same thinking and it's the same basis upon which you say that we need to liberate Iraq and they're just not civilized enough and you know you know like okay Trump is a problem now but was Obama any better when he would stand up and something at some far distant corner of the earth would happen in somewhere in the Caucasus somewhere in the Balkans and he would and somewhere in the Middle East and he would get up the following morning and say this is what America thinks should happen in that country like at what point is America going to wake up and realize that uh, it's got enough of its own issues, its own crises, its financial crisis, its, its social crisis, its crisis of leadership. It's got enough of its own problems in its own backyard uh, that it needs to really wake up and smell the coffee and stop playing this predatory role of foreign intervention in the domestic affairs of other countries and just wake up and, and realize that it's got so many of its own problems it needs to address. But you'd see, you know, we say with Trump, the idea is that he's overtly racist. But with Obama, it's the same thinking, it's the same language, right? It's, it's effectively the same language when he talks about the fact that he needs to go and liberate a particular country, right? Because he considers himself as superior to that country. And as a civilization, he considers the West as superior to the East. 
right? Um, and it's manifested in different ways, but of course the problem is the same. And um, ultimately, this the idea is that structural problems require structural alternatives. My final point um, is is regarding is regarding what uh, what is the way forward. And you know, we say it's easy to sit back and say, well, this 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 is a problem. But I do have thoughts on what the solution is as well. And I think it's, a, it's about the matter of being honest with ourselves and having a frank conversation with ourselves. It is difficult to go out there and to, to, to say openly that Islam is the solution. It is difficult to have that conversation. But, but if we tease out and we, if we understand what that means, we're saying that Islam is not just um, a series of prescriptions to do with my personal life. It's a system that organizes societies, and it is an alternative to the nation-state model. It, 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 it gives um, rights to everyone that lives within a system organized under Islam, this Khilafah system. It gives rights to everyone that lives within this system, not based on where they were born. It says that the ultimate arbiter of, of success in this life and the next is piety before Allah. It makes that the ultimate arbiter. Like, uh, yeah, we say that Islam, you know, we'll say it and we'll wear it on our sleeves. Like we're, we're very open, we're very uh, frank about this, that we subscribe to Islam, we're Muslims, we're proud about it. Islam is a solution, it has a solution, you know, it says in the Quran, tibyanan li kulli shay. It has a clarification and it has an explanation for everything. Right? Is this one of those things or not? Is the way we organize ourselves in society one of those things or not? Right, Islam. When we say Islam is the solution, we're saying that Islam, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala sent His Prophet, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, with a way of life, not with a series of personal prescriptions of how to to um, you know of how to get married and how to clean ourselves and to eat healthy. It was beyond that. It expressed everything from the personal to the political, from the economic to the judicial. It addressed every facet of life and there are there is this body of ahkam that the Prophet Sallallahu you know one of the things I, I raised a conversation around in Ramadan which I believe was important to talk about was that was that there's an entire body of ahkam around which we as a Muslim ummah um, are, are very silent and we when which we don't read enough and which we don't explore enough and which we do not propagate enough and my, and you know we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to open our hearts and to open our um, and open our minds to Islam in its entirety. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Afatu'minuna bi ba'dil kitabi wa takfuruna bi ba'd. Is it that you believe in a part of the book and you reject a part? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through his messenger has addressed every aspect of life. You know, in Ramadan we hear this hadith, Inna Masawmu Junnah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says through his messenger. Uh, sorry, the Rasul he says, Inna Verily, uh, fasting is a shield. On that same pattern, like in Arabic, on that same pattern, Allah Rasulullah says, Inna He said, Inna One of those hadith I've never heard in my life. The other one comes up in every every khutbah, every Ramadan, and like if anyone wanted to or didn't want to, they've memorized the hadith by now. Like one is discussed in great detail, and so it should be, the beautiful pristine words of our Messenger وسلم, uh, but so are the others. These words are the messengers as well, that the, the Imam is a shield. 
And one of those shields, in Masawmujunna, it protects you on a personal level. But guess which one we don't talk about? Saum, fasting, protection on a personal level. Right? The Imam, which is the leader of the Muslims, the leader of the political state of the Khilafah, the Imam, right, under which all Muslims can feel represented, and behind which all Muslims fight and whose blood is protected behind, right, this Imam is a shield and that protects the whole Ummah. But we never hear about it, but we never talk about it. Because there's a whole system that we haven't explored. And we need to explore that. Um, and I think that if we are to explore it, we will discover the structural alternative to the problem of racism. And, and it's not like a neat sort of, let's just go read some books and, and discover that solution. No, let's do justice to it. Let's explore the history of the Khilafah. Let's read about what did the Prophet mean? How did he set up this constitution when he, when he migrated to Medina and he set up the first Islamic state, the first charter, the first agreement he came up with, uh, with Jews? Which are people that were different to the Muslims. But the Prophet ﷺ set up a model of peaceful coexistence with them. The Prophet ﷺ set up agreements that were military in nature, that were economic in nature, that were uh, social in nature. And he ran this system and he set up a model for us to follow. And then he said, after me there will be no Prophet, but there will be Khulafa and you are to pledge your allegiance. And this is how you to organize your societies. Um, uh, Lest we uh, you know, believe in a part of the revelation and then, you know, we might say, yeah, we don't reject the rest, but, but in practice we might reject it by never reading about it, by never teaching our children about it, by never raising our voices about it, by shying away from it when, when incidents which, which literally cannot be addressed in any other way. Like I can't understand. There is, a, there is within the community a certain aversion to talking about um, Islam and the solution that Islam offers to the problem of racism. But, but this is the work of the prophets, it's to respond, I mentioned in my last podcast, it's to respond to the problem of the day. That Ibrahim salam, you know, took up this challenge with Nimrud. And that Musa salam, took up this challenge with Fir'aun, when he had enslaved all of Bani Israel. And it was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that sent him and his brother Harun. And uh, the Prophet salam, took up this struggle uh, with the Quraysh. And, 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 and this is the work of the prophets that, uh, you know, when something like this happens, you can't help but take your mind back to what would the prophet say, what would the prophet do. But there are things that he has said and done that I think it would be uh, wise for us and it would be very instructive for us to return to, to read, to reflect on, to talk about, to change the attitude within the community where we just don't talk about political aspects of Islam because maybe we've just, I don't know, maybe it's a difficult conversation to have. Maybe we don't know enough about it and we need to, and, and, and it's not to suggest I, I know enough about it. There's such a, gr I mean, a huge volume of books. Al-Ahkam al-Sultaniyya by Imam Mawardi. Um, you know, the book by um, Ibn, Tay Ibn Taymiyyah where he, he allocates an entire chapter of chapter 11 or 12 of his book um, on Ahkam uh, Siyasiyya. I forget the exact name, but he's, he has sections, we have scholars who have dedicated sections of their books or entire books to these issues, right? Um, in which Ibn Taymiyyah defines what Imama is, what Khilafah is. Um, and there's a reason they've spoken about it because it's a part of Islam. And so when it comes to this issue and many of these issues that we face on a social level, there is a need to familiarize ourselves and to make this a part of the conversation. Because a structural problem 
needs a structural solution and um and and that's really the gist of uh, this podcast and i ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us build some of that awareness and of course we return um in humility and out of um you know and not just grief but an angst around everything that's happening our hearts like i mentioned at the start of this podcast you know we chose this title for this podcast with a particular thinking in mind and that is that it's not just uh, it's not just our minds but it's our hearts that are riding as well because we feel the tragedy and there's only so long that a person with some level of dignity can just sit around on the sidelines and not do anything about it um and we pray to Allah that he will guide our scholars and he will guide us to try and contribute in a way that is meaningful um and to offer some solutions at the level of political and ideological work that will actually bring about change in the muslim world and in the in, and indeed in the entire world because everyone uh is in need of the mercy of allah and the justice of islam aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullah li wa lakum fastaghfiru fa innahu huwal ghafurur rahim